0: Um, If you've been with us for any length, you know that we've been journeying through the book of John right now. Don't worry, we're not lost in the wilderness. We have a destination. We're headed in a direction. It feels like 40 years, but we're going to find it, okay? We're going to keep going. And as we do, we are now in John chapter 14. 15 to 31 as they just read. And so as a recap and a reminder, what is the book of John all about? I say this every week when I get up to preach to remind us what it is that we're reading, what the purpose behind we're reading truly is. And John says it right there in chapter 20 of verse 31. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that was promised long ago. He is the Son of God. That This is all written down so that you'd believe he's the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And so these things were written down so we may have life. If we didn't know these things, we may not have life. And it's interesting is that the end of this passage in verse 29, Jesus picks up on this theme, and we know this, uh, and he's living this theme out, that everything he is doing is so that we might believe. Read verse 29 with me once again. It says this. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. All of this is so that we would build up our trust in God. All of this is so that we would build up, that God would build up in our hearts that this message of the Bible again and again is that God is trustworthy. Why is he saying this? Why is he reminding of this again and again? Because verse 30 happens. Read with me verse 30 and 31. A little weird to start the sermon at the end of the sermon, but we're going to do that today. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world, he coming. Who is that? Satan. Satan. Satan is on his way. He just dismissed Satan from the dinner. He knows exactly what's going on. He knows exactly when he's about to show up. The ruler of this world is on his way. But guess what? He has no claim on me. No, no. Verse 31, but I do as the Father has commanded me. This is all a part of my Father's will. So that the world may know. Why? Why? Why is he doing this? So that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus' love for God is tied to his obedience to God. Right there at the end, he's modeling out for us what this Christian life is all about. And he says, rise, let us go from here. For whatever reason, I've got some kind of a Jedi mind trick in my mind when he does this. Rise, let us go. He goes into the vineyard, that's what he does next. You know that because he's starting to teach on John 15. But why is he saying this? Because he wants to remind his guys, he wants to remind us in mere moments, it's going to look like Satan won. Isn't that true about your life? In mere minutes, days, hours, a week, it's going to look like Satan has a claim on you. It's going to look like his victory is just inevitable anyways. You might as well just give in to that sin. It's going to look like that. But if all things are happening according to the will of the Father, which would include Satan coming in in Judas, betraying him, and then ultimately Just putting into this series of events that put Jesus on a cross, it looks awful. Looks like like Satan is winning. But yet Jesus is saying, no, no, don't believe what you see. My Father's in control of all of this and I'm obeying him. Isn't that true of our lives? As well, isn't that true of this week? As well, if you looked back, you could look at some, some ways that Satan has, has just come in and tempted you and started to make you think that, man, it's just, it's inevitable anyways. We might as well just give in. If you can't look back at that, look a little deeper. But he's saying it ahead of time. And so now I relay to you, this week is full of that as well, for you, for me. But stand strong, Jesus is starting Stand strong because everything is happening underneath the will of the Father. And if we would obey him, it's all good. So as we look into this passage today, there's like a principle and a promise. That's really what we're, what we're gonna uncover today, the principle and the promise. And so here's the deal, right, is that Jesus... His love for his father so motivates him to walk into the darkness head on, fully aware of the evil that he's about to go and defeat. He's got to stare it down. He's got to be like momentarily killed by it and then raised from the dead to truly defeat death forever. But he's got to stare all that in the face. And if God so loved us by staring down, evil how will we love him as a result of that kind of love what will be our response see that's where we have to start is if jesus is so loving us and he's calling us to love others how is it that we will love him in response if god so loved us by staring down evil how will we love him as a result or better yet maybe this is just a simpler question do you really love jesus Do you really love him? It's a question that I think is put before us when Jesus starts to tell us the principle in all of this. But before I get there, I just want to say there's a great lie going around today where you believe in Jesus, but you don't follow him. You say you love Jesus, but there's no actual life that backs it up. And I say it's a lie because I believed it for a lot of years. So I was almost 21, I was Convinced that I was good. If you asked me if I was a Christian, I'd have been absolutely. Why are you asking me? Do you not see this cross around my neck? I mean, hello, this is obvious. I went to uh, Sunday mass almost every week. I was confirmed. I did all the things that I was supposed to be doing as a young man, young young trying to like follow Jesus man, and yet there was no relationship with God at all. Well, how did my young life leader? continually asked me the right questions because he could look at my life on Friday and Saturday night and disregard whatever happened on Sunday morning. He knew that I could live however I wanted to, or at least he saw that that's what I thought I could do. I was just living however I wanted to Friday and Saturday night and then just kind of making up for it on a Sunday morning. Where kind of this net zero idea would kind of just pan out for me. That's no relationship at all. It was not until the Holy Spirit came and resurrected my heart did a relationship burst forth, and all of a sudden, Friday and Saturday night looked a lot different. Sunday morning looked a lot different too, but Friday and Saturday night looked a lot different. See, that's that's the lie in all of us, that we can just say we believe in things and yet do nothing to back it up. But I'm going to ask us today, the heart of that is true, yes, but what does it mean to believe? Is it not also to trust, to literally trust someone else, to put the trust not in your own life, not in your own understanding, not in what you can do, but in trusting yourself to the will and the works of God himself. See, that's the principle that God's gonna put before us. And it, basically, there's two main sections to this that we're gonna dig into and then kind of unpack as we go. And so the first one is this, this principle, before we get to the promise, is that obedience demonstrates Love obedience demonstrates love. This is John 14, 15. Right now, 80% of you just turned me off because I used the O word, obedience. Okay, so let me, just, let, me just, let me just read the scriptures. Look at what Jesus says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me. Obedience demonstrating Love, this is the principle, okay? Now, here's, here's what I know, because I know that many of us just turned me off. When we talk about obedience, there is pushback in our hearts. And we usually opt out of obedience for one of three reasons. Number one, preference. Preference, we like, like. okay, so I, we just talked about this as a, as a family this week. We've never been to Luby's as a family. There's been no fish fillets. There's been no Luann Platter. My, my, basically, my children haven't lived yet. That's what it comes down to, and we need to fix that soon. But look, this is what this looks like when we opt out of obedience because, uh, of, because of preference. We get down the line at Luby's. We get down the line at Mod Pizza. We get down the line at Salada. We get down the line at Uberito or Chipotle, and at the end of the line, you got the meal that you want. At the end of that kind of line of Christianity, you pick and choose what you want in Chipotle Christianity, and at the end of it, you get the Jesus you want, you just don't get Jesus. So it's preference. So we look at the Bible, and we go, I like that, don't like that. I'll take some veggies. Nope, make sure I have the carrots, because they're kind of sweet, and no thanks on the cauliflower. If you could put a little, you know, fruit in that salad, that might make it a little bit more palatable for me. And we get the thing that we want, we just don't get the thing that God wants for us. We're preference. We just opt out of obedience because of preference. The second thing that we do is we opt out is that we we plead to ignorance. Well, I don't really know my Bible and I haven't really read. And so, you know, if I read it, then I'm gonna be accountable. Looked at my roommate after I got saved. He was my roommate for a reason because we enjoyed life before I got saved. After I got saved, we were like not okay because we lived two different lives all of a sudden. I remember looking at my roommate who claimed Christ. And I remember looking at him, I go, bro, if you would just read the Bible, I know that you would be convicted and that you would like love Jesus. And he goes, hey man, I don't wanna be convicted. I don't want that life. And I was like, I don't even know what to do anymore. I'm just gonna go back into my room and pray about this some more. I, I can't, I didn't even, I just, ah. Ignorance, what he was really saying is, I just wanna be ignorant, man. I wanna live the way I wanna live. But the Bible would call us to clear that up. Acts 17, 30, when Paul is uh, demonstrating evangelism in the gospel to, uh, to uh, really a whole lot of people, it says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. The time of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people, all places to repent. First Peter 14, First Peter 1, 14. As obedient children, as what children? Obedient children. That's who we are, right? We want to please our Father just like you want your kids to please you. How do they please you? By being obedient, right? By, okay, so that's what, what it means. So, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that, I'm thinking passions there, like your, your former self. And he's going, no, no. it's You were just acting in ignorance. Don't appeal to ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also will be holy in your conduct, your works. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We opt out for preference, Chipotle Christianity. We opt out for ignorance. We don't want to be accountable to whatever God has to say. And then we opt out because we're afraid we're going to become legalistic. Somehow in the Christian world, this is something different. If you want to like get in shape, you don't not get in shape because you're afraid you're going to like it too much. But somehow in the Christian world, we think that it's gonna be so enjoyable that we're gonna get addicted to works and we're gonna think that we're gonna earn our way. But instead, let me just appeal to you. Don't earn. Don't earn. Make every effort, the Bible says, but don't do that in earning your acceptance before God. Instead, the Bible says this in Titus 2. Love this verse. For the grace of God has appeared. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. What does grace do? Verse 12. Trains us. Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. As we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14. Who gave himself up for us to... uh, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Grace appears, and then it doesn't make you lazy. It trains you to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness so that over time, training doesn't happen overnight. Training happens over a lifetime. Over time, you would become zealous For good works. Not just like, I think I like good works, but like, man, where's the good work? Where can we get after this thing? Zealous for good works. So look, here's the deal, right? If you're new here, this is like a DNA verse in the life of of the grove is, is John 14, 15. Why would this be a DNA verse for us? Because Jesus makes a really big point about obedience and love. Obedience and love. And here's the thing. I'm just going to read all these verses in John 14 where love and obedience are put together. Look at this big deal that he's doing right here, right? Love and obedience. Verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Okay? That's beautiful. Now watch this. There's a reward to this obedience. Verse 16 and 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You won't be obedient, but the Spirit in you will cause obedience in you. This is what Ezekiel 36 says. The Holy Spirit will help you obey. When you don't think you can, the Spirit's going to be in you to enable this call to obedience. What a beautiful thing to be with you forever, verse 17, even the Holy the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Keep going to verse 21. He restates it. Remember this idea, love demonstrating obedience. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. You wanna know the true Christians in the world? Those that want to pursue obedience in our lives. This is the principle, and now the reward in the second half of the verse. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me, look at this. He will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Look at again, verse 23, this other principle. Jesus answered them If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Love and in keeping, love and obedience. He will keep my word, and my Father, oh, there it is again, will love him, and we will come to him, Father and Son and Spirit will come to him and make our dwelling with him. God's going to live inside of you. What? What? That's the beautiful reward in all this. And then again in verse 24, he states it negatively. Whoever does not love me won't be obedient, you won't keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He's basically saying, look, that all authority that I'm giving you on this is on the Father himself. Do you see this over and over and over again? This, this, This idea that love will be demonstrated in obedience and that God has a posture of reward and blessing those that would be obedient. This idea of manifest in verse 21, I want you to go back to that one at the end and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Do you not want more of God? I mean, do you not want to experience more of God? I do. Every day I wake up, I'm like, man, I don't know what you're up to today, but I want more of you. Don't kill me with it, but just I want enough to just keep keep this hunger going. Satisfy and hunger. Manifest means to lay himself open, to make himself clear. I just have this idea of just kind of him, him zipping himself open and being like, man, this is who I am. You're only gonna see this after you obey, after you love me through obedience. Will I open myself up to you, Jesus is saying. And notice the order. Don't get this messed up, that our clarity of who God is comes after obedience. Many times we want clarity about how it's all gonna work out, like if it's gonna be worth it, and, and God doesn't do that. Instead, he says, look, you trust me Remember, so that you will know that I'm the one. You trust me. I'm telling you to obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. I'm not gonna promise you anything else besides me as the reward. Not a good life, not a comfortable life, not a better mortgage or a better house or obedient children or a better paying job. None of that is offered. What's offered is the presence of God more and more of the presence of God because that's what our souls are longing for, the presence of God. So you might think, like, what's the big deal with obedience? The big deal with obedience is that it's a big deal to Jesus. But more than that, we don't need to know more of the Bible right now. We need to obey what we already know. We've already been entrusted with a ton of, compared to the rest of the world, who some people have never heard the name of Jesus, some people have, don't even know that God wrote who he is down in a book and gave it to humanity. Compared to the broader scope of the world, we are rich in knowledge. Will we be obedient with what we know? There's a pastor and an author, he says this about this ratio of knowledge and obedience. His name's is Neil Cole. He says this, we in the Western church are educated beyond our obedience, and more education is not the solution. We need more obedience. So hear me, church, I'm not calling you to be legalistic, I'm not calling you to earn your salvation, that's not the call. That's a different gospel altogether. Instead, what I am calling you to do is demonstrate your love for Jesus through obedience. This is why we do what we call growth groups the way we do them. They're designed to get you to start thinking about obedience and dependence upon the Spirit, not, what does that mean? I don't know, I looked up 14 commentaries and this is all the 18 things that they said it was gonna mean. Not that. Because really, who cares about that if you don't go and do something about it? Instead, a dependence upon the Spirit. Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted me with this this day? That's gonna be the question we ask at the end of today, our sermon today. What do you want me to do? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do as a result of these truths that I now know? Not no more, what am I supposed to do? And it's gotta get beyond prayer. It's gotta get beyond thinking. It's gotta get into our hands and our feet and our mouths so that we would be obedient to what God calls us to do. First principle, first point, obedience demonstrates love. Jesus' second point is this. This is the promise, right? And I've only got two points, so good for you. You're like, he's only got one? They got two more? Maybe. Look, right, the the principle is obedience demonstrates love. The, 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 The promise is that the Holy Spirit is way better than you thought coming into this room. And you may have thought the greatest things ever about the Holy Spirit. He's better than that. The Holy Spirit is better than you ever imagined. Look at what, the, what, what Jesus is laying down for his guys. This is the first time that he starts to unpack the Holy Spirit in the scriptures. That Jesus himself, son of God, who's been in relationship with the Holy Spirit for all of eternity, he now starts to say a few things about the Holy Spirit for them and for us. Here we go. Look at what he says. Look at what the Holy Spirit says what he says about the Holy Spirit. 16 and 17, I've read these, and I'm going read them again. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. What is he going to do? He's going to be with you forever. You know, you can't brush him off. You can't push him away. No amount of sin that you have in you is going to unearn his presence. No, instead, he's going to live with you forever. Because you didn't earn his presence, so you can't unearn his presence. He's not going to just one day get sick of you and be like, man, tell you what, that Rodney... Well, he hadn't hadn't thought about me. He hadn't prayed to me. He hadn't done anything. I'm out. I'm out. Instead, he is committed fully, covenanted like a marriage to you. That's good. I like that. mm -hmm. He'll be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. Oh, he's the spirit of truth. I'm gonna unpack this in a minute. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. How is it that God will not leave us as orphans? Jesus is up in heaven. It feels like I'm orphaned. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit that he sent to make good on that promise. Verses 25 and 26, these things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's gonna teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not a thing. He's the third person of the Trinity. In Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira come, and they present their offering to the apostles and they lie about their offering. They go, no, 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 it's, it's just all that we got for all of our land and we want you guys to have it, knowing full well that they'd held some back for themselves. Peter looks at them and in Acts 5, 3, and 4, just beginning and end without getting jumbled up in the middle. Ananias, why has so Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? You have not lied to men, but to God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And due to so much confusion about the Holy Spirit, we have similar postures towards him than we do about obedience. We opt out of any dependence upon the Spirit due to those three main things, of preference and of ignorance and of legalism. We, we prefer some things, so we cherry pick verses to make the Holy Spirit do some things for us that he never promised to do. We remain ignorant in that we neglect his daily role in our lives and instead depend on people to fill the role that God wants to fill in our lives. And we become legalistic. We just, we, we just kind of just cut out the need for the Holy Spirit and instead we make to-do lists in the faith. Do's and don'ts. And as long as we do, the, do these things and don't do these things, we're A-OK. The problem is it leads to a dead faith because the Holy Spirit's not in it. Oh, but the Holy Spirit is much more than you have ever dreamed. Look at what he says in verse 16 to 17. He says, he is our helper, He is our helper. This is a word that is very difficult to determine really what it means, but the Greek word is paraclete. Paraclete, so para is alongside of, and and klesis is truly like to come alongside the called, the called. So first thing I want you to see here is the posture of the Holy Spirit. He's not in front of you condemning you. He's shoulder to shoulder with you, encouraging you. Yeah, man, right up there, right over there. That's where I want you to go. Uh, okay, there's a shark pit between here and there. Yeah, yeah, it's right over there. But be not afraid. But he's coming alongside you. His posture is shoulder to shoulder with you. Occasionally, he'll step in front of you and go, hey, bro, I have told you it's over there. Why do you keep trying to go over there? Hello. It's over there. Occasionally, he'll get face to face with you, but more than anything, he is side by side. Don't we need someone else side by side? We don't need any more people right here. We need people right here. Hey, bro. Hey, sis. Right over there. That's how he talks to me, hey, bro, apparently. (laughs) This idea of helper is really better understood as an advocate. Think of an attorney in the best possible way. An attorney who is, that wasn't even supposed to be funny. (laughs) The things I think are funny, no one laughs. The things I don't think are funny, you laugh. Think of it as an attorney, right? Someone who is pleading the case case of another in court. Someone who is pleading your case. As a noun, it means, look at these words. I just want you to hear these words. This is what the Holy Spirit is an advocate. This is what the word advocate really means in English. A champion. An upholder. He's championing you. He's upholding you. He's a supporter. He's backing you. He's a promoter. He's your proponent. He's your spokesman. He's your campaigner. He's your fighter. My favorite. He's he's the flag bearer. That's what he's doing in our hearts. As a verb, he's recommending us. He's prescribing some things for us to work out. He's advising us. He's urging us. He's supporting us. He's backing us. He's favoring us. He's upholding us. He's speaking for us. And he is arguing for us on our behalf in order to promote us. That's advocate. Now that comes alive, right? All of a sudden, helper, I don't know what you're doing, helper. Advocate, you're doing all kinds of stuff that I need daily in my life. Daily. But who is he an advocate for? Now this is the part that's gonna get us a little bit on our toes. He's an advocate for the truth. Right? Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, this advocate for truth. Now, if he's an advocate for truth and he's going to always be a person that advocates for the truth, that means he's going to advocate for you against the world every day. It also means that when you look like the world, he's going to advocate for God to you. Shoulder to shoulder, face to face. Shoulder to shoulder, hey man, the world's jacked up. You gotta know that. Don't try and work like they work. Work is their idol. You can't do it like they they do it. You shouldn't do it like they do it. You should have some boundaries. You should be able to, to say no to some things. Put down your phone. Hey, just remember, like, we're pursuing the truth. And then every once in a while, hey dude, it's been too much, too long. Lay it down. Now you got to seek Jesus first. Remember, He's beside us and he's before us. He's advocating for the truth. So many days he is advocating for you to the world. And he's telling you again and again to the world around you in your journey of obedience, reminding you what is true about you. You are rejected by humanity, you are accepted by God. And about who God is, he's, he's also reminding you of that, that. He is your father, you're not an orphan. He's reminding you the truth about others, that they, the world, is blinded by Satan. They're not gonna see the things that you see. Don't blend the two. He's also going to advocate to you again and again the ways of Jesus in your journey of obedience, reminding you of the gospel again and again, the good news that your acceptance with Jesus is not dependent upon your obedience. Oh, the Holy Spirit is better than you think. He's the paraclete. He's the advocate. He lives inside of believers. He is the privilege of all believers. We are not left as orphans. We are not left without a father to provide for ourselves, to lead ourselves, to live with no guidance or hope in this world. We we don't live without discipline. Instead, our father who loves us will discipline us along the way. He gives us peace in verse 27. This just absolutely gives us a peace. The world will offer us peace that it cannot pay for. So this week, I was in a meeting with um, a group of pastors in our area called Christ Together, and as we were looking at demographics for us, demographics for us, there's some things that you can kind of just look at with data. And some of the data suggests this. 50% of us, some of y'all are gonna look at your neighbor and be like, Is it you? 50% of us in our household make $100,000 or more. 50% of us in our zip code. So half of us are making 100 grand or more as a household, okay? Now, also take that, that beautiful statement with this other piece of data that says, what's your most glaring need as a family? You know what the most glaring need is? Trying to figure out how to deal with stress and anxiety. The world offers you peace, Buy a bigger house, make more money, do more stuff. And the piece that you'll have is, the offer is, all will be well. Just sit on your back patio. Enjoy the pool. Do what you need to do. Right? This is, is this not the message that you get again and again and again? Get more stuff, get more relaxed. That is a lie. You know it. Your life says it every day. That's the peace that the world is gonna offer us again and again and again and again. And the peace that Jesus offers us is, hey look, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What would it look like in your neighborhood if you lived by the power of the Spirit who didn't leave us as an orphan but lives inside of us? What would it do to your block if you lived at a different pace than them? You didn't try and keep up with that pace. You intentionally slowed it down. What would that look like? See, he's in us. He is an advocate for us. And then finally, he is our teacher. What a beautiful thing. The Holy Spirit has a posture of teacher. He's not here to expect too much of us, to condemn us when we then fail and fall short and then walk away in frustration. Not that any dads would ever know about that process. Why can't you just sweep? I don't know why you can't just sweep. All right, I'm out of here. Blah. Come back and you're like, dude, I'm so sorry. I've never taught you to sweep. It's actually my fault. I got to teach you. He's a teacher, right? He doesn't just expect too much of us, of our four-year-old. Not that I would ever do that to Moses. Instead, patiently, like a father with his kids, he teaches us, models for us, and encourages us to walk forward in faithful fumbling obedience to him. So I said we'd end with this question. Will we obey? Will we seek out the Spirit for this help? Four points of obedience are gonna be super quick. First thing, seek the Spirit. May we be a people who believe these things about the Spirit, and as we seek to be obedient to Jesus' commandments, may we trust the Spirit. Second, Would we pursue the truth? Have you ever been a person that pursues the truth? My prayer is, we are a people that pursues the truth about God, about ourselves, and about the world around us, about our neighbors, about one another. If we pursue the truth, what will happen? We gotta repent a lot. Because we're gonna draw some false conclusions about our neighbor that just isn't true. But it's more comfortable for us if we just paint them in that way. And instead we gotta repent and pursue the truth. Third, measure your love uh, for Jesus by your obedience to Jesus. This is the way Jesus measures our love for him. If we took inventories of our lives, do we really want to obey him? Do we want to do the things that Jesus says to do? Do we want to make disciples? Do we want to live on mission in our neighborhoods, networks, and to the nations? Do we want to feed the hungry? Do we want to give to the poor? Do we want to visit the orphan and the widow in their time of need? Do we want to forgive our brother or our sister? Do we want to give generously? Do we want to forsake all other idols and gods to follow Jesus? Do we want to give up our dream of a more life? Life, so that we can follow Jesus and Him manifest Himself to us. Is that the life that we want? Fourth, and probably most importantly, remember Romans 8 1. If you don't have that memorized, put it in your pocket. Romans 8 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't think about your obedience so much that you start to condemn yourself because you're not actually following through. Instead, we are a forgiven people, fully paid for. It is finished over your faith journey. It was finished a long time ago on the cross. You're not gonna change that by becoming more obedient or less obedient. Instead, we are a people that believes again and again and trusts again and again that the good news is that we cannot earn acceptance with God. Instead, he has earned it on our behalf and so we place our faith, our trust in Jesus' works, not in our own. And so it's no wonder that we have no condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so grateful that you have made these promises to us. Some promises to come and be with us and live with us. What would it look like for us to be a people that are indwelled by the Spirit? What would it look like for us to believe this is a special relationship that I have with the Holy Spirit that the world around me doesn't get. So it's no wonder my life would be different. What does that difference look like for us? I think, Lord, help us. For the women, it may mean that we don't adorn ourselves with outward appearances. We don't get caught up in the image race. So we don't have to keep just chasing that, that rabbit wherever it goes of, of, of looking good and keeping our youth Let us believe in the truth that beauty is fleeting. It's going to run from us. But a woman of great character is worthy to be praised. And for the men, it may not be outward appearances, although for some of us it may be. For the men, it may be that we just get caught up in this rat race and that our identity is found in in accomplishing more than our neighbor. And if we accomplish more, And we make that obvious then our boss will reward us and we'll get more stuff. And then, oh man, we get that pool. It's one or the other. Maybe it's both. But in that journey, help us to find our rest in you. Help us to understand that you are our only hope. Help us understand that you are our only treasure worthy to lay down all things. So as we respond now, we sing one last song about your beauty, your worth, your goodness. Holy Spirit, would you remind us who we are? Would you speak the truth to us? We're human. Would you remind us about who you are and remind us who it is that we're supposed to love this week in word and deed. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.